Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're focusing on the topic of should I stay or should I go? It's that time old question. You're in a relationship. It doesn't seem to be working and not working and not working, but you feel like you got to stay for all kinds of all the right reasons. And you just don't know what to do. And it's so appropriate for this time of year. And to share with us on this topic, I have Kate Anthony, who's a certified divorce coach from the West Coast, and she's got, guess what, a program called Should I Stay or Should I Go? She's kind of an expert on this. How are you, Kate? I'm great, Rich. So good to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And so the question I ask everyone on the front end, because we all like a good story, is how did your heart lead you into this work? This really, mm. really fun, joyful work of working with people in divorce and other relationship situations. I know it's so it's so much fun. Um, I I mean I love it. I love it. It is it is my passion in life, and I really got into it the way that most of us get into it, things like this, which is that I went through a divorce myself uh, almost fourteen years ago. Um, but for the you know two to three years before that, there was a lot of should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Should I, like, and I was you know, I was really looking for a burning bush. I was looking for someone to give me a definitive answer, right? Is, is this worth it? Like, is there, I always felt there was something else. There was something else that we could do or try, or I could do or try that would just like, like the, the crest of the hill was just over there and we could we just hit it. Right. Like, um, or was just kind of this kind of just the way it is, like, was our relationship simply unworkable, um, and it took me so many years to get to the point of clarity uh, that really our relationship was, as uh, married people, uh, was unworkable. And um, I just didn't want people to have to go through that much agony. To I felt like, you know, I was looking for this burning bush, right? But I think that ultimately, uh, and what I do now is I help people with a bit of a system, Mm -hmm. for answering the question. Um, you know, when I was going through this, there was no Instagram coaching was barely a thing. Um, you know, there was, there wasn't, there weren't people out there doing this and there was certainly not this, um, you know, availability of access to people, um, helping you find the answers. And so I created that, um, now that we're in this digital age where, you know, there was no podcasting. <laughs> there was none of that stuff. Um, so, so that's kind of how what led me here. I just didn't want other women to go through what I went through. Um, and additionally, um, I what I didn't know was that my relationship was actually emotionally abusive. Um, I was trying and trying and trying to bend myself into pretzels in order to fit what I was kept being told was the shape that I should be to make things fine. Um, and I didn't know that that was actually um, a tool of abusers, right? That the target is always shifting. And so the other thing that my heart has led me to is becoming uh, a domestic violence victims advocate and helping women really identify abuse, um, especially emotional abuse and, and coercive control, because it's so insidious and so confusing um, in their relationships so that they can actually understand what's happening. Yeah, makes perfect so. sense. You know, I, I was thinking about my own divorce while you were talking about and you're saying yeah there was no podcast and this and that and I was like yeah there wasn't <laughs> I, right. now, now, <laughs> right. you, now that you mentioned it that like I think what what when I was 
when I first started struggling in my marriage, there was what, what there was was AOL. So right. Like a lot of you people may have never heard of AOL, but there was this thing called AOL. There's still people who have AOL email addresses. So I know it's still out there, but it AOL uh, had within it, it had chat rooms and groups within it that you could go to as an AOL member. It was really a benefit of membership. It's not like it is today where you can find a million and a half groups for free on Facebook or anywhere else, uh, or just there's 10,000 ways to organize that stuff now. Yeah. And uh, there were, actually, there were no, I remember going to a, a single dad's group. Um, and it's because my marriage was so upside down and my partner was so non-functional that I was mm. functioning as a single dad in a marriage. Uh, and I yeah. thought, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to carry this load. And then, it, and then I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about, you were saying you're always looking for the next thing and then it'll work. And so then it'll get better. You know, I'll take it, my kids, the pressure will be off my kids and we'll have time to work on our marriage. And I've got in that single dad's group and I got everything crack a lacking. It was, they introduced me to some amazing business tools. These guys, they were all like retired IBM execs who were taking oh, these wow. business tools and applying them to their lives. So yeah. streamlined my whole business while I was doing it. And guess what? Like changed everything except the dynamic in our marriage. And then I went looking for the next thing. Uh, and right. still, and still, so even what I'm thinking is even with all these resources, I'm sure that people are on the same kind of twisted mission that I was on. You know, if I, it's, 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 yeah, maybe I'm going to find out what it's like to get divorced, but maybe what they're really trying to do is there's got to be some way to make this thing work because yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do to my kids what my parents did to me. It took me a while to figure out that my parents didn't do anything to me actually, but you know, that was my story and I was sticking to it. Or the other one was, I hold the institution of marriage as sacred in a way that my parents didn't. I'm going to show them, you know, which really wasn't true either. But I had all these stories and the yeah. values, you know, that I got from my grandparents or whatever. Uh, and, you know, in the end, I had to move through all that stuff to get to the place where I knew whether I was going to stay or where I was, where, whether I was going to go. And then the last piece is, um, I remember at five years, I said, we're getting divorced. And I saw what my kids were going through. And I was like, holy crap, I can't do this to my kids. It's yeah. better better for me to tough it out. And then five years later, I got serious about getting divorced because my kids suffered even That's more right. in those That's five right. years. It's like, I, I realized, oh my God, this sucks even worse for them. So That's there's right. a lot, you know, I'm sharing all that, not just so that I can lay out my pain for the listeners, but to let people know there's a lot to this topic. There's a lot going on. There's yeah. what we were raised with, how we grew up, what our own experience is, what are the resources out there? And even with the infinite resources of the internet, which resources are you tapping? That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. And I, and a hundred percent. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest myths that I, you know, work to break every single day is that staying in a toxic marriage or even an unhappy marriage, um, which ultimately is unhealthy, uh, is not best for children because they are, you know, if you think about, you know, we repeat, we tend to repeat what was modeled to us. And, you know, if you don't want this marriage for your kids, then getting out is probably a good idea for them. We don't tend to. We are, we accept, we, we, we graciously do. accept the programming that's presented to us because it's yeah. all the only resource we have. And it's only later in life that we get to question it. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, why don't we just for a second, since you've 
hit it a couple of times. Let's talk about what does toxic mean? Hmm. I've got my own I mean, ideas, but I know that you're actually grounded, better grounded in this than I am with your, with your background in domestic violence, which I have shied away from thus far. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I tried to, and then it just, because, you know, because I work only primarily with women, it just became like, I had to, like, I really had to, I had to get certified in it because I had so many people coming to me to talk about it and needing help in it that I felt like I need to, I need to now take this training so that I know what I'm really know what I'm talking about. Um, and I mean, I think that there's, I was going to say, there's a difference between toxic and, and, and abusive, um, you know, toxic, I think is anything that, that doesn't, anything that's not really fulfilling if it's not pouring like fertilizer and nutrients and, and, you know, healthy growth serum into the relationship, then it's probably pouring something that's not, that is doing the opposite, right? If your relationship, if your partner is not, is not ultimately uplifting you, right? If the, the, the scales are are balanced or, you know, not weighted in the sort of uplifting and happy category, then probably if then, then it is weighing you down or pushing you down or somehow you're stifling your growth. That's probably toxic. Um, abuse is a little bit more of a deliberate, uh, attempt, uh, because all abuse is, is rooted in power and control. So if someone is, if someone's actions and their words, uh, but particularly their actions, cause their words are often a little, you know, uh, confusing. Uh, but if their actions are mostly about them being able to maintain power and control over you, mm-hmm. then that's abuse. And people do this with money. It's a huge one. You know, financial abuse is enormous. Um, they do it with, you know, there's physical violence, obviously. There is emotional violence. I mean, someone can clench their fist from across the room. And if it serves to keep you in line and not say the thing was was about to come out of your mouth, that is domestic violence. Um, you know, if they're punching a hole in the wall next to your head, that is that is domestic violence. Um, if they're just using coercive, co- coercively controlling tactics to keep you quote in line, if you feel frightened, if you feel like you like a like a rat in a maze, like nothing you can do is right, if you feel like you're scared of the next thing you say or do, that is probably coercive control, which is a form of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, like and complete transparency probably any relationship where there's yelling and screaming there's a form of emotional violence going on maybe on both sides there are a lot of cultures where that's the norm i've had clients who said oh my parents were italian and that's just what we did or my parents were irish that's just what we did you know the culturally they they thought that was okay because that was kind of the norm but on the other side of that if one person is yelling and screaming and the other person is experiencing fear. And then out of that fear, they're yelling and screaming also, and it's escalating and it's it's escalating. Then just imagine what the children who are completely powerless in that situation are experiencing. And so even if it seems like it's okay, because that's how it was when you grew up, it might not really be okay. There's a lot to think about here. And there's all kinds of ways of controlling people. 
Yeah, the, yeah. The violence is the, is very overt. There's all kinds That's of right. juicy covert ways that don't appear toxic at all. But uh, you, you know, read Melody Beattie's book, Codependent No More. That's Whether right. you believe codependency is a real disease or not, the book outlines some behaviors that are very toxic. Yeah. Which I read and I was convicted of when I read it. You know, like part of extricating myself out of my marriage was, oh my God, I'm a raging codependent who's been trying yeah. to fix his wife for years, you know, and controlling her by it. And I, I don't like who I am, you know, and I don't like what I'm doing to her and I don't like what I'm teaching my kids. Yeah. So, you uh, know, you're, let's say you're someone like me who back then, not today, you know, who was, who was yeah. in a relationship that you're just not sure about. You feel like you're doing everything you can. Uh, you feel like it's important for you to be there. It's, you, you have all those tensions, the children, the marriage, the, you're, you, you, maybe you really love the person too. And yet you don't like how you're showing up or how the other person is showing up. How do you wend your way through that? All the, those competing interests and values. Well, I think the first thing you do, and this is in my, you know, the work that I do in my programs, um, and I think it's similar to what you talked about earlier uh, in this conversation, was the first thing you do is you put all of that aside and you do your own work. Um, I had a couples therapists, uh, it, was, it was a couple that ran our couples therapy group, and they said individual therapy uh, is the death knell for, uh, for marriages. And what I learned later is that what individual therapy did for, like they asserted that if you go to individual therapy, you'll definitely get divorced. And, you know, what I learned like later was, bad. <laughs> well, right. Like, why is that? Let's get underneath that. Maybe it's because I'm getting some clarity about myself and I'm building my self-esteem and I'm, and I'm learning about myself in ways that are empowering me to now make better choices for myself. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the, that would be the goal of, of therapy, right? Of individual therapy. Um, and so I think that is the first thing that we do is we get inside, uh, you know, we do our relationship in, in, in my work, we do our relationship history. We do um, inventories of our, of our, you know, relational mapping from our childhood, our parents, all of that stuff, attachment styles, all of it so that we can actually know who we are in relationship because so often, especially with women, we are so focused on the other person, especially if there's been abuse or even any kind of, you know, manipulate, whatever it is, right? We're so focused on the other that we have to take our focus off of them and put it on ourselves and look at our own, how we show up in relationships and heal those parts of ourselves or at least work on them. Uh, expose them, you know, lift up the, lift up the hood and see how the thing functions. Um, and then you can start to have a little bit more objectivity mm -hmm. actually, right? Yep. When you get to know yourself better, you have a lot more clarity with which to look at all the relationships in your life. I love that. I love the relationship mapping. We have a process we do with couples here where they do a three generation geneogram, but it's about, it's a behavioral. And they mm. start to see that the things they learned about how to interact with their partner, they learned from like their great grandfather, Harold, and the things that they learned about never getting divorced, they learned from their great grandmother, Edna. Uh, and, you know, then they, and right. you can see how the attitude is passed down from generation to generation. It, it, it's, it, it may not even be genetic. It just might be learned or it might be genetic, but it's really, it's interesting how the behaviors, sure. they go right down the line. And I love your emphasis on when we do the personal work, 
you know, we start to expose that and turn that up. And that's the opportunity to break. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to sound religious for a second to break that generational curse, you know? Yeah, uh, sure. You know, yeah. And, and it really is a curse when you think about it. I mean, if, if you're, if there's a, t a behavior that's been gone from generation to generation that makes your partner or your kids feel crappy, you're, it's it's a curse. It's bad. It's it not is. Working. It is. Yeah. Well, if it makes and, you, you know, feel crappy, right? And so much of it, you know, this has become sort of like I think this could have been another word for 2022, but you know, so much of it is rooted in trauma. Yeah. In you know, and that trauma does get passed on genetically, but it also gets passed down behaviorally. So we do have to look at both at all of that. Actually, there was this great study done with mice where um, they burned, I, I'm probably screwing this up. I, I should probably look up the study, but it goes something like this. They burn uh, like an incense, a particular sandalwood incense, mm -hmm. and then they would give them electric shocks on the pad they're standing on, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, we do great things to mice, right? But it's even worse, it's even worse with people though. I mean, go, <laughs> go, to, go to Ukraine. Um, so they oh. did that, they did that a bunch until, uh, they, all they had to do was burn the incense and the mice would freak out. Right. So they right. didn't need sure. the shock. And it was like, holy crap, the shock's right. coming. Then they didn't do anything for two generations. The next, the third generation, they burnt the incense and all the mice start freaking out because oh right? they, they've got a, they've, there's like, the, it's, they've, yeah, it, they've made a connection between the trauma of the electric yeah. shock and that smell. So wow. trauma, trauma isn't just something we experience it's it is something that's no. passed on or at least with mice we're Absol probably well, we're probably not that different all right no, so we're you, not for so sure we're, we're we're doing the personal work and we're asking ourselves <clears throat> should i stay or should i go mm -hmm. so we do the personal work and then you know in my work i then i'm then i move into um a little bit more of the cultural stuff and i do a lot of a lot around um, toxic masculinity and male entitlement. And no, don't get me started. Of... Toxic masculinity is a very political term right now, but I know, I know. I, know I think it needs mean. a rebrand. Well, it well, needs a rebrand. I don't like, I don't the like the word. Is that toxic masculine, uh, femininity is defined as women turning on themselves and toxic masculinity is about how men behave towards women. So it's all about men being bad, but, but it's, it's actually not right? right. It's actually about, it is about I'm just talking Men about turning on themselves. On, on I know Insta Insta Instagram. Exactly. This is right. why I feel like it needs a rebrand, right? Um, it, it, I think that, you know, it does not mean that men are toxic. It means well, that we live in a culture that does not, that, that uh, does not allow men to express their emotions in a free way. And doesn't, you know, most of, most of my, the reason I work with women is that men don't really, a lot of men don't do, want to do this work. Um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to bring men into this work. And I'm, you know, God love you. If you are like, it's, <laughs> this no, is what we need. Really. Um, I work with mostly with couples mm -hmm. and it's usually the women with the women who take the lead. Uh, right. occasionally you get a man who does, um, and in the world of divorce, I do get male referrals, uh, you know, and, but it is mostly women who lead when it comes to emotional work. It is right. mostly women who yeah. lead. And I think there are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of reasons for that. But I, it, I think the primary one is that in our culture, uh, men are dissuaded from having right. all of their feelings. They're, That's right. You, yeah. Men are, should only have feelings that make them feel powerful. That's and right. As a, and as a result they're cut off from their ability to really have full and complete empathy. As a reformed toxic male, you know, mm -hmm. uh, let me yes. tell you, 
let me tell yes. you that it, you know it's it's about this it's not okay to feel fearful hurt or sad and when we cut ourselves off from feel for hurt or sad we can't fully connect to other people yeah and and then it festers and then it festers and it explodes in in rage or right because those are the hard feelings that cover the soft feelings they feel powerful that's right that right because they have to take back their power so so i do a lot of um a lot of uncovering of that because i think there's a lot of it that that women don't don't quite get or understand mm-hmm. and a lot of education. So this is sort of the more intellectual um, piece of my, my work and my program mm-hmm. sort of giving them like, what is abuse? What is abuse? Right. What is a trauma bond? How does, you know, does he know he's abusive? How does like alcoholism, addiction, infidelity, mental illness, how do these things impact relationships and what is your role and your part in that? Um, you know, should I go to therapists? Should I go to therapy? Should, should we go to couples therapy? Should I go to therapy with someone who's abusing me? Right. So just answering all the questions that really are coming out constantly. Um, and then I, and then I move into the healing, right. Uh, um, more of the, of the healing stuff, like emotional regulation and grounding and codependency work. I think, one of the best books, I don't know if you've read this one, but I think the best book on codependency is um, by a woman named Pia Melody called Facing Codependence. And it's all about how codependence springs forth from childhood trauma and the ways it does that and how it manifests in it's sort of she sort of she has a codependency tree where the roots of the tree are childhood trauma and abuse. And the trunk of the tree is the codependence. And then the 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 rest of the tree, the branches and the leaves are all sorts of our um, uh, addictions, uh, psychological disorders, uh, mental mental health disorders, all sorts of right. And it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and I think well, as long as the name Melody is in there somewhere, I'm in. So yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> It is a little strange. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, you know what's so, interesting yeah. is like out in the media, there's a they're questioning whether codependency is really a thing. You know, right. it's just yeah. a pattern that That's we slapped right. a name on. But I'm gonna also tell you, as someone who worked in addiction addictions for years with families and addicts and alcoholics, those folks know that codependency is a thing. In Absolutely. fact, most of the addicts and alcoholics recognize that their precipitating behavior was codependency, and then they moved on. You know, that's when the, the tree, put, right? That's the tree. That's they moved exactly. on to bigger and better things. That's right. Here's the here's the tree. I don't know if you can see this, yes, but yes, yes. um, and it's and absolutely, absolutely, it's a thing. Yeah. And I think we have to we have to better understand it. And look, I also think it is a function of the patriarchy. I think women are far more tend to be far more codependent because that's what we're nurtured and taught, you know, in sort of indoctrinated to be um, these caretakers and nurturers and he'll be okay if you just, and, you know, controlling all the, you know, being the emotional regulators of the family, all of this stuff, which is sort of codependent mm-hmm. behavior. Um, but true codependence really comes out of trauma. Yeah. It really does. Makes perfect sense. It perfect, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, when you think about it, if you have some kind of traumatic experience, if you have not handled the emotion from the trauma, right, like as in mm-hmm. let it go, if the emotion is so intense that you don't want to revisit it, then all of your unconscious programming is going to be about ways that you can avoid re-experiencing that. And yeah. the only way to avoid re-experiencing that is to feel like you're in control of your immediate environment and the people in it. So it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. That's or right. the alternative right. would be to find a way to actually release the trauma and the emotion. There are a number of techniques out there, but that's not what this episode's about. 
Right. Right. Exactly. So these folks are in here, they're doing the deep exploration. And I'm curious, uh, how often is the, what percentage of people are, I should stay and what percentage of people are, I should go? Well, if you're Googling, should I stay or should I go? And you come up to my program, you're not in a happy marriage. <laughs> so I kind of figured, but I, I, thought, know, I thought I'd show a little optimism. Right. I mean, l- listen, I do have clients who have been able to turn their marriages around through our work because they're able to bring this stuff to their to their spouse. And if they have a spouse who is... Uh, committed to the relationship and to uncovering. I mean, I have a client right now who's in my group program um, who, you know, brought all this to her husband finally. And she's like, here's what I'm learning. And he turned around and he shared childhood trauma with her and their couples therapist that he, she had never heard about in 32 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. He had never shared this very extreme childhood trauma And he was finally willing to, A, admit to it, to talk about it, and to admit that this was the source of his rage Mm -hmm. and his outbursts, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what toxic masculinity is, right? It's not that that he he has done nothing wrong other than not be given a a platform to or or a place to process this really extreme trauma. So toxic masculinity doesn't necessarily mean you can't smoke cigars and drink scotch and and cheer for sports teams and and be kind of a butch dude. (laughs) Dude, no, that's right. Well, there's some confusion out there in the media about that. There's a lot of confusion about it. There is. There's this book, a client of mine turned me on to called No More Mr. Nice Guy, uh, which is all about the men responding to toxic masculinity by being really nice and really accommodating, you know? And and I think this debate about um, what is masculinity that's, that's out there has a lot to do with the fact that there is a lot of freaking toxic masculinity out there, but that doesn't That's mean right. you can't be uh, male in some of the traditional ways that we consider male. And that there's That's a confusion right. around it. Yeah, there is. And look, it's confusing. It is confusing when you when we've lived for generations with this messaging to try and unravel, like to like what is masculine, what is feminine, what you know, emotions. Oh, so I have to be more like lean into my feminine and have more of my emotions. Well, emotions are not masculine or feminine. We all have them, right? This doesn't yeah. mean this does not take away your masculinity in any I way, am, shape, or form. I am done with we all have a feminine and a masculine side, especially now in the age of 26 to 46 genders. All right. I think the way to think, <laughs> no, I mean, I think the way to think about this is. We all have a part of ourselves that's very goal-driven and that's mm. very relational, right? Let's just yes. throw the words right. masculine right. and feminine I love off that. It. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what happens is for guys, they go, oh, I have a feminine side. Don't want to talk to that. Nope. Right. <laughs> right? That's right. Because I'm, right. <laughs> I'm a guy. Because I'm a guy, right? And that's, and it, oh, yes, yeah, you're right. And maybe, I, maybe there's some cultural homophobia seeping in there or something like that. But if you think about it, just think about it as the attributes Tons. of those two sides, you know, uh, th- then it, the whole thing changes. Oh, you know, as a man, I can be more relational, right? right. I, can, I can think more about what people around me are feeling and how, what the, what, ha- what the happens in the ecology when I take an action, but we should do like six more shows together, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> right, I we're like on, it. Today we're on, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. that's really cool that that uh, that opened that up for, the, for the, your client's husband to, 
unearth and release some of that trauma, you know, so he's yeah. not locked into that pattern. That is amazing work that you're doing. Thank you. I mean, I feel like it. And, and you know, I have to say that, like, look, uh, when when women become empowered and they leave toxic relationships, like I am I am in the stands raw rawing but even more when they take the work and they bring it to to men who are then willing to also pick up the baton and then run with it in their own lives, that's actually better. <laughs> right? That's better because that's how we actually change the systems and the culture. And, and, you know, I don't want there to be this much divorce in the world. What I want is for people to be healthy in healthy relationships that are really fulfilled and loving. Yes. That's what I want. I want to contradict something I said. I said, I was trying to be optimistic for marriage, but mm. in truth, um, my, my personal mission is about how helping parents in any circumstance, whether they're together or apart, yeah. to have a strong working relationship that produces joy and resilience so that their children are given the tools that they need to have joy and resilience. And so, yes. you know, the yes. truth is that my first wife and I, we were not our best selves when we were together and we were probably never going to be our best selves when we we're together that would that might have been a, yeah. a slim possibility but we couldn't reach it or see it in time for our children and so we were really better apart that's right me and too so, yeah me and, too. Some, and mm -hmm. sometimes and, and i'm remarried 23 years and we are it appears you know really better together <laughs> So far, <laughs> so far. Or, you know, the running joke is we're taking it one day at a time, which when we first right. got married, yeah. you know, I said that to my wife, she said, what do you mean we're taking it one day at a time? And now 23 years later, she's like, you know what? You're right. We're taking it one day at a time. That's right. <laughs> she's come around That's right. to this point of view. <laughs> but, but the point is that um, if we're going to be, if we're going to do the work and, and have the internal healing and show up fulfilled, happy, um, nurturing, caring human beings, we've got to figure out whether that's together or apart and whichever we choose is best. So it's not, right. it's, it's not so much, oh, it would be better if you were together or better you're apart. It's like, you need to find your own way and programs like, should I say, or should I go where you're really exploring this and encouraging people to dig deep are what's needed. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Thanks. How can people find you, Kate, and your program? Uh, well, my website is kateanthony.com and you'll see all options for all my programs there. Uh, I am at on Instagram and TikTok at the divorce survival guide. And my podcast is the divorce survival guide podcast, which I'm going to spoiler. I'm going to have rich on soon. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that because I'm, I'm loving this. I'm telling you, we could talk. I know me too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I have a d divorce survival kit. I don't think it's the same as the survival guide though. It's, it's like, a, it's, it's really, the, I, I want to see your guide. I bet you there's some good stuff in there. For you people. know, it's, I don't actually have a guide. Oh, um, I I'll give you my kit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can rebrand it. I had one, but uh, anyway, it's a long story, but you know, I have a, I have a one for kids, like really how to, I'm, a, I'm also a, a co-parenting specialist, certified co-parenting specialist. So I have one about like, let's how to, how to protect your kids throughout this whole process. Awesome. But yeah, oh, that one's now called how to, how, how to, if I can say it on, on your show, that one is now called how to not fuck up your kids. You can say we can are, say that. this show is, <laughs> is not rated for children, period, at right. all. So when we put yeah, it up on either. YouTube, it says not for kids. So you, oh, can say, you can say whatever you want on this show. Fabulous. Yes. Yeah. So yes, it's called How to Not Fuck Up Your Kids. 
<laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and it's really important because the truth is you can fuck up your kids married or divorced, by the way. Well, I mean, the the statistics, you know, the research shows that divorce doesn't fuck up your kids. Staying in a toxic marriage will fuck up your kids. It is the worst. And having a toxic divorce will fuck up your kids. Is the next worst. Right. So and let's then, then, do then the this. next best is a good co-parenting divorce. And then up on the high pedestal mm-hmm. are uh, marriages where there is solid communication and co-parenting going right. on. I guess that's the maybe that's the 45 percent that say, well, that would be really optimistic. But but yeah. you know what? The other thing is that um, there's actually not for the kids. There's not that big a difference between couples who stay together and mm-hmm. have a good relationship and couples who have a pretty clean divorce where they're co-parenting well, the the the, the difference is not that much. It's, it's no, it's, it's only in the in the long term, it's really neg- it's negligible. But in the short term, sure, they have spikes of anxiety, they have depression, whatever. But getting divorced does not turn your kid into a drug addict and an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. Over the long term, amicable, collaborative divorcing divorces with collaborative co-parents. The, over the long term, it is there's there's hardly any difference between yeah, uh, the which health, is mental health. Really cool when you think about it. So good, right? What a relief! If only hey, people could get divorced amicably. <laughs> well, you know they do pretty well at it. Uh, you know, if, I, actually, yeah. I was really lucky that I bumbled into a coach. I, I, my coach wasn't a coach; it was a divorce lawyer who I went to college with, who kind of adopted me and said, "Listen, <laughs> listen, you know, we, we've known each other a long time." you're going to screw this up if you don't get help. So I'm going to talk, we're going to talk to each other while you do this. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how, what to do with your blame and where to stick it, (laughs) you know, so good. and and, and how to show up in front of your kids and, you know, uh, and to stop doing all the things that are making it worse. And that was incredibly helpful. And everyone needs someone like that in their corner because so much of the advice out there is, is so toxic, right. And creates, uh, unhealthy and, and, um, really contentious divorces. Yeah. Cause people yeah. don't get it. Right. Well, this experience of divorce is so much like warfare. And when we're, we feel like we're at war, we give ourselves permissions to say, to say and do things that we wouldn't normally do. And that, with that, we, uh, I promise you that, that even with all that help, there are things that I said that I deeply regretted years later and that I needed to clean up with the mother of my children. She's the mother of my children. And I'm proud to say that when her mom died, I took her, the mother of my children to the funeral and stood by her side, you know, as her parenting partner and friend, even though, um, thing, you know, we, we, even though things weren't like, we weren't BFFs, you know, mm-hmm. that all came out of that person's helping me through that experience and really helping me get my my head straight about what I needed to do for the family. Right. Absolutely. It's so good. It's such a blessing. Such a blessing. We need more of those people. Yeah. Um, the question I ask everyone at the end, and I'm so sorry that it's the end, is what's the legacy you want to leave behind? Well, it sounds, I feel like it sounds so trite, but I, I really mean it. Um, which is that I want, I want women to feel empowered in their relationships and empowered is such an, a buzzword and overused, but I really mean it. I think in the, in the most organic sense of the word that to feel our personal power and to bring that into relationships and to know that we have choice, we have agency, um, and we have 
personal power, right? That doesn't mean power over, right? But but internally over our own lives. And I think um, the more we can do that, the more we shift, uh, the more women show up that way in relationships, the more we're going to start to uh, shift the um, toxicity in relationships, the patriarchal oppression and structures that that we all, the, the systemic stuff that we all live with. Um, that's what I want. I love it. And if I can contribute to that in any way, shape or form, I'm thrilled. I love the way you articulated some of what empowered means also. Mm. You're right. It is a very, the, the words I hear the most, and I love these words, don't get me wrong, by the way, are empowered and authentic. Yeah. I want totally. everyone to be all empowered and authentic, but sometimes- well, What does that mean? Right. Right. We say that. We say that so much. And there's a lot of the toxic positivity movement that uses those those words. So I think we have to, we do have to- dig a little bit more deeply into what those actually mean. I think at the heart of empowered for me, and you like, since we're just real, like we're defining labels for each other, mm -hmm. it's probably the realization that we are causal or that, yes. we can, or that we can be causal maybe is a better way to put it. That's right. So that we, if we, we so choose. To, we don't have to be in reaction all the time. We can be uh, proactive. Mm -hmm. That's right. I love that. Not I that there that. isn't, not that there aren't, there isn't resistance, not that there aren't uh, structures and beliefs and stuff like that, that we might end up pushing against. But you know, when we, when we get a clear idea of where we want to go um, and we get that we can take ourselves there, whether we're men or women or whatever, you know, that's a form of, ah, I know where I want to go and I can see how to get there. You know, that's a form yeah. of empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, and I will take action in order to move that forward, right? Because we can all sit around being like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Like, you know, manifesting shit by sitting on a rock and like thinking about it, but like, no, take action as well. well. In the, and in the 1800s, you know, being an empowered woman meant a very different thing because the structure was a lot more rigid, but there, right. and yet there, you know, I'm, I know you can find examples of empowered women in that time period. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really, it's not always about everything. It's not about the patriarchy being gone as much as, all right, so we're negotiating something that isn't right and isn't fair and isn't even, how do I negotiate this in a way that, that works for, for yeah. you know, me and my family and that shows that I'm not limited by that thing. All right, that's a whole nother podcast. Thank you so much <laughs> for your Thank time. You, Such a pleasure to meet you. And I, I'm looking forward to speaking with you more in the future. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Thanks, Rich.